you just think we just, you know, whatever happens, we just shit another player. I, and everything's going to be perfect. All of our fans think that. You all think that. That's what you write about. You don't want to be here. There's a specific reason. Not really, you know, I think we did a poor job recruiting. If guys are coming in and immediately walking out the door because it was something different than what they thought it would be. And we lied to them during recruiting or we, we sold them on a dream that wasn't you know, true. Certainly, like I said, coach our kids to, to do the right thing and uh, you know, play with poise, play with confidence, play with dignity, play with class. At the same time, we're not going to take anyone's shit either. We want to be a big, fast, dominating, aggressive, relentless football team that nobody in the SEC wants to play. Now, that's also a second in the West, baby. Yes, sir. <laughs> excited about second. From now on, it's first, okay? All I want to do is fucking eat! I want you to eat! I want you to eat! I want you to want this shit! Do you want it? Do you want it? Show me! Welcome in to the latest edition of That SEC Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Bratton. I go by SEC Mike on Twitter, and I'm joined as always by my cousin Shane, who goes by Big Orange Vols on Twitter. What are you up to, you big Tennessee homer? Hey, buddy. Happy New Year. Yeah, this is the first 2020 edition of the pod. I'm happy to be back on with you here, Shay. We got a lot to recap. You ready to talk some SEC football? Yeah, buddy. (laughs) Well, as promised, Shane, we're a little late on this one, but we still wanted to give our thoughts on Florida beating back Virginia in the Orange Bowl, 36-28. to 28. And, hell, this was a weird one, Shane, because we were talking up what a blowout this was going to be, and then 30 seconds into the game, Michael P. Ryan breaks a big touchdown, and it looks like it's going to be uh-huh. 42-3, to three, just as you called it. And uh, then all of a sudden, I mean, then if you look at the stats, I mean, Kyle Trask, he did have that early interception, but outside of that, he was outstanding, over 300 yards, once again, a touchdown in the game. But despite all the good stuff there for Florida, and I'm I'm not trying to say they didn't look good or anything, but uh, this quarterback here for Virginia Perkins, I mean, he really proved Mm -hmm. something to me. He looked like a real player. Uh, I don't think either one of us gave him quite enough respect. He, He accounted for four touchdowns. And uh, he kept Virginia in it, didn't he? Absolutely, man. I I thought this would be a blowout when they when they stopped and when P Ryan was running down there in three seconds. You know, it's just like <laughs> this thing's gonna be ugly. And of course, I as usual put my foot in my mouth. You know, <laughs> and Virginia makes us a game with their six nine. You know, linebackers. So, <laughs> yeah, what was that? that? That also caught my eye. I mean, they got six, seven linebackers, six, nine. I was like, what now? And, <laughs> and these guys aren't monsters. They were about, you know, 150 pounds a piece. They were, they were skinny. They were like string bean men. Absolutely. He goes, yeah. That's what he kept saying was, you know, Trash really going to have his hands full with, you know, these, these really tall linebackers. And I was like, well, how tall are they? And the guy's like, one of them's like six foot eight, <laughs> six foot seven or something like that. And I'm like, a linebacker, you know, I was like, what are they, what are they feeding these boys up there? But I tell you, man, Virginia, as much crap as I gave them, not really knowing much about them, they, they brought it, man. You know, that they, they were on a mission. They gave everything they had to win this game. And, uh, I tell you, Florida, Florida got some some breaks here, man. 
Trash didn't look great, but you know they got the job done. And and P Ryan, hell, he had one of his best games I've seen all year. Yeah, that's what I was gonna go to next. Shane, you talk about having a big game. P Ryan, final game as a Gator, he went all out. He scored three touchdowns, nearly counted for a fourth. You know, remember mm-hmm. he uh, just barely went out of bounds on that fourth score, and that led to a easy Trask run touchdown. So. Yeah, just a complete performance here against the Gators. And and once again, we got to give them a ton of credit. I know they were playing in the Orange Bowl, a big game here. But, I mean, outside of C.J. Henderson, you didn't hear any talk about, well, is P. Ryan going to play? Is, you know, Van Jefferson yeah. going to play? I even saw, you know, Felipe Franks, who announced, obviously, you know, he's not coming back to Florida. He's either going to go to the NFL or grad transfer out. I mean, he's down there supporting the team. So I think he really got to be – happy if you're a Gator fan with what Dan Mullen is building down there a culture of winning and uh, that's something he talked about after this one because the Gators have taken that big step you know they're winning double digit games now back to back actually how about this stat Shane Dan Mullen first coach ever to win two New Year six or BCS games in his first two years at a school Mm-hmm. I mean, that's pretty outstanding. Absolutely, man. And, I mean, you know, people are talking about about Dan giving a hard time. But, I don't know, when you think of Dan, you think of great coaching. And even though this game got tight, was there a part of you that said, Florida's going to lose this thing? I mean, I just I, – I never thought once Virginia was going to win this game. I thought they made it close. And I thought, you know, uh, like you said, Perkins did everything he could to to get Virginia in place. But it just felt like with this team and with Dan Mullen that it, it didn't matter how close it got that this was going to be a victory. Did you get that same vibe? Yeah, I mean, because anytime Virginia did kind of rally a little bit, it wasn't because of any blown assignment or poor coaching. Like you said, it was more just about outstanding individual efforts for Virginia and yeah. they just didn't have enough good players to match up with Florida, and that was the difference in the game. Uh, now there was a critical late fourth and short call here late in the game. Florida on their own side of the field, there it was around the 40-yard line late in the game, fourth and short. Dan Mullen, you know, he's got the guts to go for it there, and it was kind of a weird-looking play here. It was uh, that rollout Trask did. It was like a two-handed shove option, mm-hmm. but – Hell, they picked up uh, several yards, so that's all they needed for the first. That's something Dan Mullen kind of hit on, on on just that play call. And I really liked what he had to say about bringing back the Gator standard after the game and on taking the next step down in Gainesville. Dan, uh, back-to-back New Year's six bowl wins for you, a first 11-win season in years. Can you expand a little further on what you were mentioning before bringing back the Gator standard, what that feels like for you? Well, you know, I mean, to me, that that's what's special. I know these guys all came to Florida uh, expecting to be at one of the premier, uh, not just academic, but also premier football universities in the country. And, and you know, that, that's what the Gator standard's about. Uh, trying to be the best of the best, whatever it is you're doing. And, you know, when you look at it, you look at our whole athletic department, uh, that standard's pretty high. Um, you know, I, one thing I, I think, again, you know, you look at this in, in, the, in the, the, the world of college football today to have two of the top ten academic universities, uh, only two schools ranked in the top ten academically playing in New Year's Six Bowls, playing each other out there on a the field in a great game. And you saw the, the talent, the guys battling, and the effort they give is special. But, 
for our program, this is why these guys came to Florida, to play in big games, play on the biggest stage, to be one of the best programs in the country. And, uh, you know, to do that in, uh, in, in back-to-back years. You know, I mean, if you, if you want to be able to be a championship program, you got to win consistently. You don't see teams. You know, you look, you look at the playoff teams, uh, the guys that made the playoffs this year. You know, they're not teams that have just came out of nowhere and hadn't been winning and finally won. You're looking at teams, I think all of them were in New Year's Six Bowl games last year. Uh, it's about you got to be a consistent winner to go be a championship program, and you know the, the guys here in our program are helping us build that. What will it you know What will it take to get to that next step and end and end the season next year in, in the stadium, but not in the Orange Bowl? Yeah, well, you got to grind. You know what I mean? Like I said, I mean it was it was hard. To go, it was tough to go from four to ten wins. It was tougher to go from ten to eleven. It's even harder to go from eleven to twelve. The mental and physical toughness that it takes, the preparation that it takes starting January 6th when we get back and the, the 2020 team's born. We're going to try to enjoy this for a couple of days. Uh, but January 6th, we have a team meeting, and that 2020 team will be born. And the mental toughness that it takes um, to come in day after day, work, push yourself, get better. We have to do more than we did last year. Uh, get better than we were last year. And then the mental toughness it takes from every single game, every single practice throughout the year, to be exact, because you look at the margin for error is so small. You know, you look at um, the two games we lost this year, you know, in close games. So we're battling, 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 and the margin for error is really tiny in those games. And it's one or two plays can make a difference. And, uh, you know, and so the attention to detail, the grind, that's what we have to continue to work on, continue to take the step, and we're going to work harder. Uh, starting January 6th, we got to work harder next year than we did this year and try to go from 11 to 12. And, uh, you know, and once you get to 12, you might get a couple extra ones in there. Uh, the fourth down call that you made there. Which uh, one? The, the one uh, that you get the first down, fourth and one at the 44. And there did we, do a, we got a couple of them, didn't we? Yeah. But the, uh, the one, like, at our own? Yeah. Yeah. The pitch play that Travis. Yeah. We checked to that. He made a good check. On the play, you know, went up uh, to the line of scrimmage. They were pounded, got everybody pinned inside. He checked to the pitch to the outside because they had everybody pounded, lined up inside. Uh, it was a great check by by Kyle. Great job by by Lamichael. Obviously, a veteran player, knowing where he needed to do to get the first down. Um, you know, and all those things. You know, you're at that moment. You have fourth and one. We felt comfortable. Felt like we we should be able to get that yard. And. Uh, you know, and then, and if not, I mean, our defense playing hard, they'll make, they make plays, and, and we've been aggressive all year. Obviously, the fourth down play was, uh, Kyle said, was uh, you could go either way where, where you were going to go with the ball. And the play I was just talking about, the van. I yeah. Mean, did that trust happen right away with you, or, do, uh, you know, in terms of him checking off, checking to a play? No, I mean, he knows you prepare for a lot of those situations. You know what I mean? And he spends a lot of time in preparation. Brian Johnson obviously does an amazing job getting him ready uh, for the different situations and different looks. And, um, you know, at, at those moments, those, those are key moments in a game. You know, and, and so, you know, we have situations, we have plays we want to get into in those key moments. And, um, you know, and, and a lot of times you want to make sure you're getting in the best play possible. You know, I don't want to run a bad play with the game on the line. And so he knows the different looks of what we want to run, what plays to, and is able to get us into the right play. All right, Shane. So this is, I mean, this has got to be music to Florida fans' ears. Uh, like we said, now we are recording as the Georgia game's going, so we'll touch on that one on a later podcast. We won't be able to recap it. But the only reason I bring up Georgia because – you know, regardless of not knowing how this Sugar Bowl's got to play out, I think you got to be pretty pumped up if you're a Florida fan. It seems like 
you're the team in that division that has the momentum. Heading into this year, I know there was, Florida was talking a big game, but I don't think many people outside of Gainesville actually expected them to win the East this season. I'm thinking heading in, I know it's early, but looking ahead to 2020, I think there's yeah. going to be a lot more people picking Florida to win the East than were this year. Yeah, I mean, and it's it, you think people in year three are going to be like, oh, man, Florida, where's this team come from, you know? And it's it's like everybody's watching Georgia. Everybody's, you know, fixed on LSU and Alabama situation. They don't see this sneaky little juggernaut build down here in Gainesville. I mean, these guys are losing two games a year. That's it. You know what I'm saying? The last two years, and mm-hmm. and not by much. If they tweak a few things, uh, who knows? They they could have easily have been in the playoffs here. So, yeah, um, I think you got to be really excited about uh, the the momentum that Florida will have next year. And I think they're going to pick up a lot of preseason buzz going into next year. Mm-hmm. All right, Shane, so let's kick it over to the Tuesday game. And this one, Shane, I thought we may have hyped it up a little too much. Turns out we didn't damn hype it up enough. (laughs) So Kentucky (laughs) and Virginia Tech in the final ever Belk Bowl. They're keeping the bowl game, but they're losing the sponsorship. So it's the final one. But my God, Shane, I mean, this, this was incredible leading up to it. I mean, we got punches thrown during pregame we got teams having to be separated on the field uh Lynn Bowden needed a police escort just to get on the field and then yeah. once it got on once we hit the field we're talking Virginia Tech got flagged for abusive language that was the first time I ever heard of such a thing <laughs> uh, uh Logan Steinberg for Kentucky got flagged for uh, a taunting and this is all in the same damn possession i mean this was just this was a bloodbath here and it in fitting fashion i mean obviously the mvp of the game lim bowden who just completely took over in the second half particularly the fourth quarter uh, but this was just you know virginia tech gave kentucky all they could handle and i mean the only difference in this was the fact that one team had lim bowden and the other team didn't Dude, this game, this game was awesome. I mean, this this is exactly what we expected, uh, but didn't expect. You know, I mean, we always we always get it excited when we when we hear a little, you know, pregame buzz, a pregame fight, you know, things like that. But it usually doesn't doesn't pull over to the field, you know. And and this time it did, man. There's punches being thrown. There's uh, crowds being separated. Uh, we got escorts and everything. This was this was a fantastic game, start to finish. And the beauty of it is, when I was watching this game, I was in a room full of whole, a whole bunch of people that really didn't care much about football, but we were all glued to the TV. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And like, so so just just what I'm saying is not big college football fans. Period. And they were just. They all they kept saying was, "Look how exhausted Lynn." You know, at the end, it was like we were all Lynn Bowden. You know, it's like golly, give him a break, let him throw the ball once. You know, and it was, and then we got to the very end. It was, it was, it finished in epic fashion. This is when I think of bowl games. I think this is the way they should be. You know, with this, I don't know if I may go into the draft, and you know, I, I think you know, back in the day. 
bowl games had this kind of buzz, and, and it's kind of gotten away from that. And I, I, I'm glad teams like Kentucky and Virginia Tech, because I'm not going to discredit Virginia Tech. I thought this wouldn't be a game either. They brought everything they could to make it, and uh, they I don't know. Man, I'd pay to watch this thing again. Yeah, it's kind of like you were saying, that final possession. You know, Kentucky damn near almost ran out of time because they were taking yeah. slow and methodical – my palms were sweating as I was watching it because <laughs> you just you just didn't know if they were not that you you doubted that they could run it, but when you're taking eight minutes to drive, not even the length of the field here, time was just running out on them. Did you see old uh, Lim Bowden pointing to the guy as he scores a touchdown? It was just oh yeah, I mean that was great. <laughs> uh, I mean <laughs> this was it's just an incredible, incredible individual performance. The most rushing yards ever from a quarterback in a bowl game, 233 for Bowden, two touchdowns rushing, and of course the game-winning pass, which, you know, I don't want to take away anything from Lynn Bowden, but typically when he's throwing the ball, it's, it seems like they're just hoping for, you know, to draw a flag because it's <laughs> it's not always in the uh, area of the receiver, but hell, he made a crucial fourth down throw to keep that final drive alive and the game winner. Got to give him a ton of credit for that. Dude, just the, the 18 play, 85 yard, eight minute, <laughs> 10 second drive to win this freaking thing. You know what I'm saying? I mean, there was, I don't know how many times we had a fourth and one or a fourth and seven, you know, with, I mean, it was just, it, it's, I thought this, this game could have ended like it could have literally ended six times on that one drive <laughs> alone, you know? And I, unlike the, the Florida Gator game, this one, I was like, they're going to have to throw it. You know, it's, It got to that point, and I'm like, can Lynn do it? And he did it on a fourth down, and he did it there at the in the red zone. And uh, just a fantastic game, man. If, if they haven't got a trophy up or a statue of Lynn Bowden outside that stadium right now, you know what I'm saying? They mm-hmm. should rename Kroger, you know, <laughs> just Lynn, Lynn Kroger's or something. I don't know how you want to do it. Just He's got to be – implemented in in Lexington for the forever because he put Lexington on his back and, and won this thing. It was just very impressive. What a what a great game. And hell he returned the opening kickoff. He fielded a punt. They, I mean they they've used him in every facet you could and it just it made me think of the water boy Shane. Last game of the season. Can't hold anything back now. <laughs> <laughs> Last game of the year, Brent can't hold anything back now. I know. Well, I was thinking, man, when there was like 10 seconds left, I was like, put his ass in defense, <laughs> man. Put him back there and let him, let him get it in case they try to throw a Hail Mary or something here. But, uh, man, I tell you what, this one right here took the cake. And not a lot of people watched it. Noon game, you know? Mm-hmm. Well, let's kick it over to Mark Stoops after this one, Shane, talking about that final play, the decision to pass forward. And I just thought this was interesting given the fact that uh, – he noted that if Virginia Tech didn't call timeout, they may not have thrown the ball there on that final drive, taking up eight and a half minutes, what have you. And then finally, his thoughts on uh, Lim Bowden. Was the call in the, the final play to go to the air? Yes. Any, any reason why to deviate from you know keeping it on the ground like that? Uh, we had uh, one timeout. So one thing about throwing it, it gives Lynn the opportunity to scramble with no timeouts left, um, you know, that, uh, you know, would be tough. Um, 
the uh, we were thinking about running it uh, before Virginia Tech took the timeout. Uh, but I didn't want to because I didn't want to take that option from him to be able to create a pass game but create uh, the play. With no, you know, if we would have taken the last, if we would have run it there and not gotten in and taken the last timeout, that kind of takes, you know, some of that out of his hands for the next couple plays. So we wanted, I wanted to throw it right there. Had all the faith in the world, he was going to complete the Yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> Front row. Mark, what, what was it like on the sidelines on that final drive where you're balancing, the clock's ticking, you're not getting chunk plays, but you're moving it down the field and you're bouncing your timeouts with the time and score. What, what was it like? You know, honestly, John, when we took the ball over, I want to say 7.30 or 8.30, something like that, right? 8.25. 8.25, 825 8, yeah, I thought 8, it was 8.30. And, and really, in my mind, I was thinking of an eight-minute drive. I really was. Uh, sure, I would take it a chunk play. But you know we're not built that way. But we're also built uh, very difficult to stop in four downs when he's creating like he is. And when you have the quarterback run game, if you have four downs and stay ahead of the chains, then we're hard to stop. And so I was thinking a long drive there. Um, we, we had a shot you know, early. We were thinking about a shot play. Um, but again, I had confidence that we could drive it down and get it in there. And uh, you know, in the process, kill the clock. Secondary Ohio, Mark basically wins basically on everything this year except winning a game with his arm. What did it say about him that last play of his college career to, to continue to do something that nobody expects? Do that doesn't surprise me. You know, really, just nothing he does surprises me. Um, you know, it just uh, you know every, everything he does, he competes. Uh, he cares about his teammates, and uh, you know you can't ever count him out. And uh, you know just so proud of him and how far he's come and you know if he would have played like that if we just started him at quarterback I mean there, there's absolutely no doubt in my mind he would be in New York at the Heisman you know you can't take away from you know Joey and people won and the people that were there incredible players uh, but this guy right here is one of the best players in the, in the country um, he showed that and of course he won the prestigious award to Paul Horning so deserving uh, for his versatility and that was on full display. Um, he and I have been talking for years about him playing defensive back. He's been ready to go in there. He was even ready today. Yes, sir. <laughs> <laughs> yes, sir. He, can, he can do a lot of things. He really is um, one of the best players. And I mean that with great respect for all the people that were there. It's just what he's done. And that's what I've talked about. When, you, when you're putting the ball in his hands every play, he loves that because the game is running through him. It's running through him on every play. And uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, that, that was one of the most impressive um, displays I've seen in a long time. You know what he did and the way he puts his team on his back and uh, and plays for him. It's 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 amazing. It's very admirable, and uh, we have great appreciation for him. Coach Mark, Josh Allen, Benny Snell left legacy. What exactly is Lynn's legacy to the program? Yeah. Uh, can we borrow the name Beast Mode from, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, I, I don't know what, what, we'll have to create one for him. But, uh, you know, I, I just think you just see his competitive nature on full display every snap. Um, you know, Lynn is, Lynn is one tough guy. And, uh, you know, on the field, off the field, you, you name it, he, he, he's tough. He's had, uh, you know, circumstances in his life that he's had to overcome. Uh, he's done that. And we're just very proud of him. But uh, 
just unbelievable, ultra competitive. Uh, the way he plays, it's just uh, uh, just great respect. Second round. All right, Shane. So you know what more can be said about Lim Bowden? I mean, he's going to go down in history. I know he did, had a. I don't want to say a brief career at Kentucky, but he didn't even stay the whole four years. But sometimes you don't need a guy to stay that long to make that big of an impact. And, um, you know, you got Vince Morrow. I don't know if you saw it, Shane, their tight ends coach, saying Lim Bowden, the greatest player in Kentucky history. Mm. You know, you say stuff like that at the time of a game like this, and you kind of sometimes you can roll your eyes and say, well, it's easy to say that now because it just uh -huh. happened. But I don't know. I think he might be right. No, I think so, man. I think, you know, there's a lot of greats and that's come through there. Um, but this, I mean, he's definitely one of the top, you know what I'm saying? I mean, this is just a, just a true MVP. You know, talk about if you remove one player off any team in the SEC and, and, and it would just be, you know, it would just, just like, for instance, when, when we thought we'd take two away from Alabama, mm -hmm. you know, yeah, they didn't win. I, I think that it hurt the team, but I don't think it killed the team. You can see as, as we see the next few games now, I think it may have been a big factor why they didn't win the Auburn game, obviously. Right. But when you take somebody like, like if you were to take Lynn from Kentucky, I mean, we're talking about a totally different ball club, man. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's a good chance they're not in a bowl game. You know what I'm saying? There's a good chance they're, they, they would be on a three, four game losing streak, you know? Right. So I just, when I, I think he's just a true MVP and, and those, those players, those top players are just far and few between. And, and it's just impressive what they've been able to do up there. Now, I know this may be a little off subject. We don't have to spend a lot of time on it, but any thought to maybe they should do the Heisman voting after the bowl games? Because I think if they do, I think Lynn Bowden's going to be a finalist for an award like that. I'm kind of surprised they don't um, because I think that's when you're going to you're going to find your true MVPs. But I just – I know Coach talks about him – being there, I, I I could see maybe him making the ceremony, mm -hmm. but again, we are talking about a, a team that that had a lot of losses this year. You know that the Heisman's just got that stigma right now that if you ain't winning games and if you're not a just a hell, if you're just not a quarterback, you know, maybe <laughs> a running back, right. you know, you're not going to you're not going to win the thing. So mm -hmm. I kind of hate I kind of hate how Heisman is these days. Because I don't think it, I don't think it identifies the true MVP of the country. Mm -hmm. If if you were to, like I said, if you were to remove a player like Joe Burrow, all right, Joe Burrow is a dynamic hell of a player. I think that he could be considered uh, a true MVP. Because if you take him, there's a good chance that Miles comes in and does good, but there's also a chance that they lose three games and not make the playoffs. You know, right. No, I, so, I definitely uh, agree with you on that one. Drunk and rambling, Mike. Let's go. <laughs> All right, so Shane, I, speak. I, I got to grab another beer. Give me one second. <laughs> All right, Shane, well, let's kick it down to the Citrus Bowl. Alabama took care of business against Michigan here on Wednesday, the 35-16 to win. And, you know, you couldn't tell by looking at the final score, but Michigan kind of won the first half. They had the lead at the break. And I know Alabama scored the late touchdown there in the second half, but 
you know, they open the game with the 85-yard touchdown to Jerry Judy, the first offensive play, kind of like that Florida game. It was just like, my God, Alabama's going to roll this team. And then the mm-hmm. rest of the quarter, they just kind of got out physical, got outplayed, couldn't rush the ball, couldn't stop the run. And it looked like Michigan was going to give uh, Alabama some trouble there. But then, man, that flip, that script was flipped in the second half. Alabama shut out the Wolverines, scored 21 points. I mean, they wanted no part of Alabama in the second half. And uh, I don't know about you, Shane, but, you know, the more I see of this Mac Jones, the more I think – I know he's got a ton of weapons around him. That's part of it. But the more I see of him, the more of a – you know, I kind of get convinced that whatever Tua decision – whatever decision Tua makes, I think Alabama will be all right if Mac is the quarterback next year. I was thinking the same thing, Mike. I was thinking if Tua comes back, go with me. Is there a chance that we see Mac Jones hit the portal? Yeah, I think definitely, especially if he can graduate in time. I don't know if that's a possibility or not, but hell, I think he'd be the first player, you know, to uh, try to get a waiver and they'll ask Mm -hmm. for a reason. He'll just write Tua. I don't have one reason. I have two. Uh... <laughs> yeah, not because I'm just, I, I think if I'm Mac Jones, okay, it, you're finally building a little chemistry with this team and it's starting to show. It's, it, it really did. It, it's. I thought it showed a lot during the, the Auburn game, to be honest with you, even though they didn't come out ahead. Mm-hmm. Uh, it just seems like he's been taking steps forward. And, and this is a, a, a type of quarterback that you expect to see at the University of Alabama. But in the back of your mind, if Tua comes back and makes this big spectacle out of it and the receivers are coming and all this stuff, I mean, what does that say to you, man, that you're always going to play second fiddle? And who's to say that the following season it's not baby Tua takes your job or this new kid they got coming in? You know, I just mm-hmm. – I don't know. I, I think that they've got – I think they got a – special quarterback a lot of people forget how great mac jones was coming out of high school and and he's starting to show it uh, and he showed it during this game yeah and another guy that showed it shane mvp of the citrus bowl jerry judy six catches 204 yards and a touchdown he was unstoppable in this game probably his final game with alabama he's just a junior but a lot of projections you know top five top ten pick i certainly would not uh expect him to return but uh you know all these receivers there might be some more guys coming back shame because leading up to that we have not hit on this yet we have not recorded since this happened but uh outstanding middle linebacker dylan moses announced he will return for alabama next season he of course missed the entire season after being injured during training camp that was a terrible blow and one that alabama just never really could make up for this season so that's big on many levels Nick Saban heading into this game talked about uh, Dylan Moses wanted to be a leader come back kind of prove his worth and then um, Moses also noted in his you know statement of his coming back that he wants to win another national championship wants to go out the right way and that's led to a lot of speculation I mean you got people on the broadcast uh, Greg McElroy uh, among them saying that they believe Tua will return for another season. Uh, thoughts on potential of that, Shane? You think uh, – I didn't think it was very realistic at all, but as more time goes, and right before we hopped on here, 
Tua even announced uh, he's making his decision on January 6th, Monday. Given the fact he's putting a damn date on it, I mean, I feel like the decision's probably been made. And if you're going to, I don't know, if you're going to go, I don't think you are like releasing dates for your decision. Yeah, this one, uh, this one's interesting. And uh, mainly because that date. And because also later in this, we're going to talk about Dan Mullen talking about him uh, being with the 2020 team. And they're going to, you know, the birth of the 2020 team will begin January 6th. So I'm like, so I just thought it was kind of interesting he chose that date because is that the birth of uh, the 2020 Bama team, you know? I think that there's a chance that Tua comes back. And the more I listen to Saban, you know he's in his ear, giving his best. I mean, Saban's slick, buddy. Mm -hmm. I mean, he is a master manipulator. And I think, you know, some of the things he says – he hits keywords talking about injury, talking about draft, talking about I'm going to get the right people. But you got to remember, Saban, yeah, he wants the best for these kids, but he also wants the best for himself. And two of back is only going to help him, you know. But then you see people like Mel Copper comes out. Um, I'm sure you saw the the big board, and they're saying he's he's thinking that he's the third player selected. So, but again. That's he, you know, Mel Kuyper's not a GM of any team. You know, he also said, uh, what's his name? Jimmy Clausen was the fourth best player in the draft and he was going to retire <laughs> if he wasn't, have, you know, I just, that never came to fruition. So, uh, uh, I'm not saying Mel Kuyper's always right, but that's the type of news I'm wondering. I'm wondering what kind of information Tua really is getting on this situation because I'm with you. I'm thinking that there's a good shot he's going to come back, but if he's, if he could be the third one selected in the NFL draft, why would he? I mean, just for just for a victory, you know, just to win at Alabama. I mean, does he really love the school that much? Because I, I, when I think of Tua, I don't think of University of Alabama. I think of one of the greatest quarterbacks to come through college football. You know what I'm saying? And mm-hmm. But if he's really rooted in that system and he wants to win one for Tuscaloosa, then by all means come back. But I, I, I think this is more Saban just pitching him, you know? Right, because, I mean, it all sounds good, you know, coming back, winning a national title, maybe winning a Heisman, and then being in discussion for the number one pick. You know, that's like a dream scenario, and if he does come back, let's hope that does happen for his sake. But, I mean, in reality, on the other side, he could take another shot and his career could be over. You know what I mean? So mm-hmm. you have to think about and then he won't earn a, a damn dollar in the NFL. You know what exactly. I mean? And I've seen some people saying, well – you know, if he goes number 10, he's only going to get 13 million. And I'm like, only 13 million? <laughs> Sign my ass <laughs> up right now. You know what I mean? Like, it's, that's not that bad of a curse to give someone. So, uh, I don't know. There's there's a lot to be to go into this decision. And I know he's, you know, a faith-based uh, person. So, he's going to, you know, lean on his faith for this decision, I'm sure, mm-hmm. and his family. But, uh, I don't know. I'm curious to see where that goes. And that's actually something that Nick Saban was asked about after this game, you know, he said he's, his team's got a, had a lot to prove, which you really think Alabama, do they really got a lot to prove? But the way he kind of spun it here, I think I agree with him uh, on the value of these bowl games and then finally on Tua and his status moving forward. It's for everybody. What was the statement you guys wanted to make today and do you think you made it? You know, I, I think this team had a lot, of, lot to prove, you know, in this game. Uh, I think that, um, you know, we have a culture – 
of how we play football in Alabama uh, with great effort, great toughness, uh, but also discipline to execute uh, and accountability for everybody to do their job. That's always been the trademark of what we do. Uh, and people make decisions based on, you know, what's best for the team. And I thought that maybe at the end of the year this year and a couple games that we played, you know, half of the LSU game and uh, maybe at Auburn, you know, we didn't really do that the way um, to the standard that I would like uh, and to our expectation. And, and I think the players realized that. And I think they, they wanted to prove that, um, you know, this is the culture that was established, you know, for a number of years here by a lot of good players. And I think they have a lot of pride in that. And I think they wanted to come out today and uh, prove um, that this is what Alabama football, the culture of Alabama football is really all about. Coach, I know you guys are used to playing in the playoff and the national championships and all that, but uh, can you just talk about the value of bowl games? Do you still appreciate those? And what is the value of this game moving forward for your program? Well, I, I think that there was a lot of value for our program and our team um, to be able to come uh, and get a reward, first of all, for having a successful season. I know most people would think that 10-2 and two was a good season. Uh, that's not necessarily our standard. Uh, the fact that previous to this year, we've been in seven of the last 10 championship games, eight playoffs out of 10. Um, so, and we sort of started to develop a little bit of a reputation of if we weren't in the playoffs, we didn't play very well in the bowl games. And uh, I think that every player can create value for how he plays. And there's a tremendous amount of value that your team creates by maintaining the culture of how they play in the last game and how they finish the season and how that carries over, that culture carries over into next season, especially with the young players. So uh, I think there's a lot of value. Um, I, I think that the interest level, I hope you as media folks, you know, who put so much into the playoffs, um, and rightfully so, uh, that we can continue to um, have bowl games that are a positive reinforcement because they are important enough for people to be interested in because you all promote interest, you know, for, for the players and the games. Thank you. Uh, Nick, your social media team put out a tweet last night that a lot of fans have interpreted as um, positive hope that Tua might return to school. Is Tua going to return for his senior year? You know, that's a decision that I think his family needs to make, and I'm sure when they make that decision, uh, they'll let everybody know. Um, I think it's our responsibility and our job to make sure that we give them all the information from an NFL standpoint, from a medical standpoint, from a rehab standpoint. Uh, and if there you know, is any way uh, that he could possibly be devalued because of his injury and you know, what are the consequences of that and how does that affect his decision and what he does in the future. But um, he's been a great leader for us. Uh, he's a great player on our team. He was elected captains, captain of the team by his teammates. Uh, and we just want what's best for him. You know, I think that's my job with all the players uh, is to make sure they get the right information from the right people about what their status is uh, so that they can make a business decision about what they do for their future. And that's what we're going to continue to do, and we're going to continue to do that for Tua and his family. Medically, do you think he's going to be ready for the draft this year, or could it benefit I, I, him You know what? I, I don't need to be – I'm not a doctor. I mean, I haven't operated on anybody's hip before. 
you know, I'm, I'm struggling to be a good coach, which is, you know, plenty to do for me. Uh, I think that's a, that's a question for, you know, a medical person. We have a lot of hip specialists that uh, have given the family a lot of information, and we're going to continue to do that. All right, Shane, so I mentioned Dylan Moses coming back. That's uh, kind of what that reporter was asking about, if anybody missed it. The official Alabama Twitter account, they tweeted out videos of dominoes falling, and that kind of led a lot of people to say, oh, Dylan Moses coming back. Is Tua coming back? Who else is coming mm -hmm. back? So that's kind of what they were yeah. referencing there. But, uh, you know, Saban makes a good point. He's not a damn doctor. Don't ask him. But, uh, <laughs> you know, he's not yeah. saying that to Tua and his family. <laughs> Exactly. And he is, I mean, coaches are, are fantastic. I mean, coaches are great, but they're also great salesmen. You know, I, I think some of the best coaches are the best salesmen. They're, they're, that's what they do. They sell the kids and the families to come to their schools. And Saban's having to do that to Tua now to keep them in school. And I think he did it with Moses. You just heard what he said, you know, talking about the injury. Maybe that did set you back, you know, maybe a big full season and you could be a top, you know, I mean, I could just imagine what they're telling these kids. So the, the thing, the thing about it though, is if, if this is true that, that these folks come in, I, I, I think you said that they can send so many to the NFL. Mm -hmm. How's that work? Uh, you made mention of it. They can send so many kids to the, uh, NFL scouts or something like that? Yeah, I'm not sure of the exact numbers, but there's only a, a certain number they're allowed to get to the draft advisory board, I guess, and give them a draft grade. So you got to assume, too, as one of those guys that they're getting that information from. And I believe that board is made up of, you know, GMs and scouts and everything of that nature. They So they give them some concrete information before they base their decision. Do you know when they're meeting? Uh, I believe they've already they've already done all that. Oh, okay. So he's already met. Okay, you know, because when when coaches come out and they say, you know, we have people that come and and talk to the players and you know give them advice. I, I'm hoping that it is a neutral party, you know, with the kids' best interest, not not you know the coaches, not a NFL team, just a, a neutral party, somebody that doesn't have really connections to either one. Right. Um, I think that's I think that's the right way of doing it, but yeah, coach wants him back, and if you can get to it back, that's great. But you know, during this game, let's not forget, you know, Ruggs was walking to the sideline without a helmet. You know, the kid got knocked out; he's in concussion protocol. Mm -hmm. I mean, what if it was something else? You know, what if it was what if it was an ACL? Then now he's not a first rounder, or what if this is to a same situation and he doesn't come back from this hit? Maybe he is a thirteenth. 15th draft pick but what if he gets drafted 15th only to find out he'll never be the same quarterback he was in college if he comes back to college and and, and gets exposed that he's not as good as he once was well he's not going to be a 15th selection in the nfl draft you know mm -hmm. so i just think i don't know there's a lot of pros and cons here and i honestly i wish i was making this decision because my ass would be in the nfl right now but <laughs> i you know i'm not yeah and and he's you know he's he's really uh close with his family and and i think the decision sounds to me like has already been made and and we'll just find out in a few days here mm -hmm. all right shane let's kick it to the only other bowl game we got to discuss here the Outback Bowl were Auburn. They lost this one. I didn't see this one coming to Minnesota, 31-24. to 
I know Mississippi State also lost to Louisville, but I think this has got to replace it as the most, uh, I don't know if embarrassing is the right word, but just most surprising result of the SEC Bowl season. Just given the fact that you look at Minnesota's team, at least from what I just saw, I mean, they do not match up on the line of scrimmage, yet they just dominated Auburn for the most part. That's a terrible sign there. And you, know, you had guys from Minnesota sitting out. You had everybody from Auburn, aside from Nick Coe, playing in this game. I felt like Auburn would be the motivated team. And, you know, for this one, Shade, it was they intercepted Minnesota on the very first possession. Couldn't, mm-hmm. and they got down to about the 10 yard line on that play. They couldn't score a touchdown. I thought that was a troubling sign. And then Minnesota gets a field goal. Then Auburn returns a kickoff for a touchdown. I'm like, my God, they're going to dominate this team. <laughs> but outside of that, I mean, it was just like Minnesota just took them to damn school, Shane. And I just cannot mm. get over the fact Minnesota ran all over Auburn and this defensive line. If you would have gave me, you know, a hundred guesses to what's going to happen. This would not have been on my top hundred. And no. another funny thing in this game, it was just kind of weird, but Minnesota had a, there was a goal line stand. Auburn was on defense. They, they Minnesota scored three touchdowns on that goal line. <laughs> they kept reversing the play. So, I mean, they really did only scored one and the one which was on fourth and goal ESPN cut to commercial right before the fourth and goal, Shane. And then you come back and it's like, Minnesota touchdown. They didn't even show the damn play. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, what an awful, awful, ugly game this was, man. I mean, the fact that you gave up 200 yards rushing just blew my mind. And then then I'm watching it. I'm like, you know, if you just, you know, cover that Tyler Johnson kid – you know, you're probably going to win this thing. And they just, I don't know, just couldn't do it. It just, you know, it just never settled in. And I thought Auburn was going to win it there at the end. But, man, kudos to Minnesota. You ever watch a game and you're just like every break goes one team's way? Mm-hmm. And you're just like, man, they're destined to win this thing. I mean, there was the the catch in the back of the end zone and then that fourth down catch from that tight end. You know, it's just like, I I, I mean, they Lady Luck – was rowing that boat today, buddy. And I tell you, <laughs> they they won this thing, and, and I don't think they should have. I think Auburn had a lot more talent, and and I don't know. I, 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 I just, think Minnesota outcoached them, Shane, because remember uh, when old uh, Brett Sialka came on here, he told us about it. Minnesota, yeah. they're a one-trick pony. They run this damn slant pass. That's what he said. That was the pass that Auburn intercepted on the first possession there. And then as soon as I saw that, I was like, my God, they they stopped down their one option. And then they just ran it the rest of the game. They couldn't stop it. And like you said, I never heard of this Johnson kid until today. But, my God, he was impressive. That touchdown at the back of the end zone, that was probably the best catch we're going to see of the bowl season. Uh-huh. Uh, I mean, he's going to be, be in the NFL, I would imagine. I mean, I can't imagine he's not after what I saw today. And I don't know, Shane. You got four seniors on your offensive line, yet you get 56 yards rushing on Minnesota. Bo Nix, you know, very average once again, although the touchdown throw he had was outstanding. He got blitzed off the edge. Yeah. Didn't, that didn't phase him. I thought, I thought we had seen like a progression there in Bo Nix, but that was basically the only standout of the day there that I saw. And it was, it was so fun. It's just like, for every good thing that Auburn did, they did something bad. You know, they had the kickoff return for a touchdown, but then they fumbled a punt, mm-hmm. you know, and it's just like, 
well, everything that they did, they just uh, I I don't know. There was there was a few things in this game that drove me absolutely bonkers. And uh, Derek Brown, I I would sit there and watch him, man, and he would just destroy the the front. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And but they just ran the opposite way. But they never moved Derek around. It's like. Why don't, why don't we mix them up, you know? Don't, let's don't put them in the same spot. That's why they're probably running all over you, you know? It's just, I, I don't know. I, I think it was bad coaching and uh, from Auburn. Mm-hmm. And not the, not saying that Minnesota didn't have great coaching because I think they some of the plays that they did dial up were fantastic, but I, uh, Auburn should have won this. And they should have won by multiple scores. And, you know, Bo Nix did have flashes. And I think that's something you got to hang your hat on because, you know, I, I, I do think Auburn's going to be better. Uh, but, man, this defense, I, I can't believe they gave up 31 points to Minnesota. Yeah, and here I am. I don't know how I'm feeling up an Auburn fan because, you know, Gus Malzahn, we'll get to him in just a minute here, but he's hyping up his offense. You know, every game they lost, whether it was the Florida game, the LSU game, the Georgia game, I mean, they mm-hmm. didn't really show up. And like I said here, they're getting turnovers, interceptions. They're getting kickoff returns. You take away those, what do you got, 14 points here by the offense. This was not a good showing. Uh, They just had nothing going for most of the day. And for the life of me, I cannot understand why Auburn does not go to tempo, hurry up. It seems like that's the only time they got something going, and yet they refuse to go to it. Maybe Bo Nix. He just looks like he's even better in it, but maybe they just don't they don't trust him enough to run that. I don't know, but I don't know. I, I'm just uh I'm a little well, I'm a little conc- I'm concerned about next season with what they got coming back now. It's like, you know, you were talking about if you stop the slant, you beat Minnesota. Mm-hmm. Well, it's like that with Auburn. If you stop the run, you beat Auburn. Mm-hmm. And that's exactly what they did, man. I it just it blows my team or blows my team. It blows my mind that that they weren't able to get 60 yards rushing against this team. You know what I'm saying? I mean, that's crazy. Well, let's kick it over to Gus after this one Shane talking about Minnesota. They really did kind of keep a, you know, keep away from Auburn and it worked on the, that fake punt. There was yeah, I forgot to mention that there was a fake punt. My god, it was it was so bad. <laughs> I mean, the guy was being held a little bit, but it was just Poorly executed there right uh, at the very tail end of the third quarter. On the struggles of the offense this season, which Gus doesn't think there are. And then uh, he continues to hype up Bo Nix and the fact that he's going to win a title at Auburn. Yeah, I, you know, I think that that's fair to say. And I think the first quarter, I don't know how many how many plays we had in the first quarter. I think we may have had six or seven. I mean, somebody may have the stat sheet, but it wasn't very many. In the second quarter, I don't think we had much more than that. And they did a good job of staying on the field, too. And like I said, the offense, we didn't get very many first downs early to stay on the field. So I think it was a combination of both. But, uh, you know, the volume of plays in the first half, it wasn't very much for us. Yeah, uh, I mean, they, they played loose. I think everybody could see that. But at the same time, you know, I think we, we called four or five or six shots. Um, a couple of them we had a little protection breakdown. And a couple of them we, we kind of underthrew or whatever. But, um, yeah, I mean, you know, anytime you put up 232 yards offense on 53 plays, I mean, we got to do better than that. I mean, but give them credit. Uh, they'd had a good plan. But uh, they did a good job of trying to keep things in front. And, uh and stayed away from the big play. 
Yeah, fake punt. Yeah, I liked it. Um, it wasn't really open, but the guy had his arms around the guy, you know, when the ball's in there. So I don't know. They didn't call it, but that's just part of it. But yeah, I mean, we're trying to win the game. We're going to be aggressive, and um, that, that didn't work out. But if I remember right, I don't think they scored. I think we held them on fourth down uh, as far as that goes. But I mean, we're trying to be aggressive and win the game, and it could have been easy, easily uh, called interference call, too. And, We'd have had a first down in field goal range. A two-year trend? You talking about this year? Yeah, yeah. I'd say this year. I think we finished, credit if I remember right, third in our conference in total offense and our fourth in points. So it was solid. Uh, this game, we're, we're disappointed, and we should be. Uh, but we'll rebound. Uh, Chad Morris, I'm very excited about him and his future. And I feel like he's one of the best. And like I said, I mean, after this bowl game, we'll get our put our heads together. But he's going to have great influence. And uh, and we'll get better. Uh, we didn't play our best. But like I said, yeah, 53 plays, you're not going to be very good. But, uh, but I will say this. This year, I felt like we did some good things offensively. So I don't think that's accurate, you know, as far as the total assumption of this year. Yeah, I mean, Bo, Bo, I've said this before, he's going to win a championship for us before he gets out of here. Bo went against the toughest schedule in college football as a true freshman, and uh, he learned. And uh, he's going to be a really good quarterback for us. And more than that, I think he's going to be a great leader for us. That, that's my expectations. And uh, I'm glad he's our quarterback. And, uh, you know, he'll have a very good career. All right, Shea. Well, like I said, I mean, Gus is – I don't know what numbers he's looking at there. I guess, you know, he's found a couple that uh, suggest his Auburn offense has been great this year, but against the best competition, I know it's all, obviously it's a lot harder against some of these SEC defenses against this mighty Minnesota defense. But when you're playing these teams, if you, you can't generate nothing, you're not, you're not going to win and your offense is a failure. Absolutely, man. Well, what'd you expect to put coach Morse out there? You knew it was going to fail. <laughs> Just kidding, just kidding, man. Uh, that's too soon. But I just, I, I, I just hate it because you know Auburn did travel well to this game, and um, I, I thought, you know, I don't know, you, you ruined the momentum too. You know what I'm saying? You, mm-hmm. you just beat Alabama. Uh, people are starting to talk about you again, and and everybody's talking about this Minnesota team and the the best coach in the college football. And you had an opportunity to just shut all that up and 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 go into next season. And you you had you know great players. You have you have a top ten, top five player, and, and Brown coming in committing that he, he's going to play. You know what I'm saying? It just I don't know. I just think they blew an opportunity here, and, and Minnesota was prepared, and Auburn wasn't. I think Auburn just thought they were going to show up and beat these guys. Mm-hmm. All right, Shay. Well, we got some, some news around the league, some quick hitters. Let's jump on down to Baton Rouge. Ricocho was on uh, ESPN Baton Rouge show off the bench here recently, talking about some Joe Brady. You know, on our previous podcast, we had mentioned that uh, Joe Brady, target there, NFL offensive coordinator, Coach O discusses that. It sounds like he's pretty confident they're going to keep him. Your offense gets all the highlights and all the accolades and all the attention around the country. Obviously, everybody talking about Joe Brady. Two things on this, Coach. Um, obviously, his name's coming up for some NFL jobs, his security with LSU. And, and how do you, as a head coach, limit that from becoming a distraction in preparation when yeah. that stuff's going on with your staff? Well, obviously, i got to give Scott Woodward uh, a lot of credit. Uh, 
he came to me during the first open day. This is coach, you know, we're going to we have to make a plan for Joe. This is going to happen fast. And we did. And the school made a great plan. And uh, I believe that uh, we're in good shape. Uh, Joe is happy here at LSU. And obviously, you know, things can happen. <clears throat> but I think that uh, we're in great shape. Uh, we're going to discuss his final situation after we finish. And uh, I do believe that Joe's going to be LSU Tiger. Obviously, he's going to be a head coach one day. He's a hot ticket. Uh, he's a great young man. I'm, I'm, but I'm glad we got him as an LSU Tiger. All right, Shane. So, I don't know. Tocho, I mean, he sounds pretty confident. He's been that way the whole time. I don't know if he's just, you know, he's trying to keep his players locked in here. But it seems... You know, we don't know what the plan is if Joe Brady is going to be the next LSU offensive coordinator. I I would think at this rate that's probably a safe assumption. Boy, but then what are you doing with Steve Ensminger? And mm-hmm. another way to look at it is, I mean, if this guy gets an NFL offensive coordinator role, it just seems like it's very hard for me to believe that he's going to stay at LSU to be an offensive coordinator, not to, you know, I'm not trying to diminish LSU there. We got them both winning the national championship here in a couple of days, but I don't know. NFL offensive coordinator. I mean, that just seems like a much more high profile position. Yes. I, I think that this is a position that he has to take if it comes open, but I don't know. Coach O sounds like he's got a pretty sweet package. He's <laughs> offering him down there. You know what I'm saying? I think it's just, what is, what is his goal? You know, he's a young kid. Obviously, he, I, I don't think he's ready to run a program. But if his dream job is to be a head coach at a team like LSU or, you know, a team in the SEC, well, then stick where you're at, man. Watch it. Watch it. Done. I mean, you're you're at the top right now. you got a lot of talent coming in. People are going to want you forever. It's just like the Patriots uh, offensive coordinator, you know. Mm-hmm. They keep winning. Everybody wants that. McDaniel, I think that's his name, whatever. But – but then you go to NFL. If if an NFL job's what you want, man, take it. You know, now's the time. Strike with iron's hot. But uh, I th- I think we're we're gonna wait till after the 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 playoffs here and then see what he wants to do. Because I'm telling you, man, the kid's got he's got a key to the city, man. He can go anywhere he wants. Mm-hmm. All right, last thing here with LSU, Shane. This was just hilarious. Um, oh, also an update on Michael Divinity and then Cocho. Got a surprise call from President Trump, Shane, and not only uh, the call here, but his reaction to getting the call, I just thought was too perfect. Hey, Ed, you know, I know a decision hasn't been made on Michael Divinity yet, but, you know, say he is back on the team. I mean, you guys have made do without him for quite a few weeks and actually kind of had a look really strong last few weeks. What kind of role do you imagine he could have, you know, if he does return? Well, hey, uh, you got breaking news. Michael Divinity will be back with the team. Uh, a final decision was made this morning, so good job of breaking it, man. Nice job. Um, <laughs> Thank you, Matt. Way to go, man. How about that, huh? Good deal. Uh, yeah, uh, we'll see. You know, obviously, uh, Mike has been a tremendous pass rusher for us. I know uh, we're definitely going to use him. He'll be back in his, in his role, what he's doing, and we'll see what fits best, but he's definitely going to play for us, and we'll def- definitely use him in the best situation we can. Hey, Coach, good morning. What's up, John? Coach, uh, there were reports that the president, Donald Trump, called you after your victory the other night. Is that true? And if there, can you share anything about your conversation? Yes, he called me yesterday morning. I was very honored to get a call from President Trump. He was very pleasant to talk to, very complimentary of our football team, our coaching staff, uh, complimentary of the way the 
the state of Louisiana has uh, rallied around us and, um, you know, was complimented the way we played all year and wished us good luck in the games. Did that surprise you that he called you? It did. Yeah, it did. I didn't know. Yael told me the president's office called him. I thought it was the president of of the university. He said, no, the, the White House. So I said, okay, here we go. All right, Shay. So this is what happens when you're number one, and you know you're living life. You're you're dominated in the SEC, dominating college football. You just never know who is going to be giving you a call. You you don't even know which president. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> <laughs> oh, Dabo didn't get a call. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> oh, I love it, man. This is fantastic. Uh, he must be a secret LSU fan, man. Went to the LSU Bama game. Now he's calling Coach O after this thing. So, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, man. No, I think we were, they're ready to crown him. I wonder what they're going to eat at the White House. You know what I'm saying? I bet they'll have crawfish up there. <laughs> McDonald's. All right, Shade. Uh, let's jump on down quickly here to College Station. Just wanted to make this note. Junior receiver Courtney Davis, since we last recorded, announced he's turning pro thought that was a little bit of a surprise. I mean, this guy was not dominating by any means, but uh, certainly he's got the potential to, to be an NFL playmaker. He's got 99 total catches, 1,201 yards, and 11 touchdowns his two seasons there playing for Jimbo Fisher. But he was a lot better as a sophomore than he was a junior. So looks like uh, Kellen Mond's going to have to get him a new number one target with Courtney Davis turning pro. Yeah, that one surprised me. I thought he'd come back for sure. I mean, I didn't even know that it was a possibility. Because like you said, he he had a better year last year than he did this year. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and, you know, as I kind of am hyping the the Texas A&M train here, just seems like next season could be such a huge year. A lot of people stand to gain. Uh, Their stock could really rise next season. But, hey, we don't know know his situation or anything. So, I mean, I hope he gets – Goes in the first round, you know, and has a great career. Maybe he's one of those guys, you know, went to the scouts and said, hey, man, you got the tangibles and just Mon couldn't get it to you or something like that. You never know. And, uh, of course, I, I, I'd i always go, man. If they tell me I'm going uh, to be the fifth round, hell yeah, I'll go, you know. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Let's do it. I'm ready to make some money. I'm tired of eating ramen noodles. <laughs> <laughs> Let's jump on down to Oxford, Shane, where we got a little bit of news here sort of here at Ole Miss, but uh, according to Tom Van Helleren of ESPN, they're one of their recruiting guys, he says that uh, Lane Kiffin is targeting Michigan special teams coordinator and safeties coach Chris Partridge to be the next defensive coordinator there at Ole Miss. And I've also heard that Kiffin is getting rid of the entire staff that he inherited. So this is kind of goes against what we had originally heard Thought he was keeping defensive coordinator Mike McIntyre. And this is interesting to me, Shane, because if Kiffin is getting rid of a defensive coordinator that was, you know, a finalist, or not a finalist, but a semi-finalist for the Broyles Award, a guy that had won Coach of the Year, he had actually won that Broyles Award previously as an assistant, and he's hiring a guy that is not even a defensive coordinator, was a special teams coordinator at Michigan, but... I have heard this is Michigan's best recruiter, and they are, that's a school that recruits very, very well. So I'm not saying that Kiff is making some huge mistake here, but it certainly seems like he's saying, all right, let's go with a recruiter 
over a really good coach and some continuity. So I just wanted to get your thoughts on that, Shane. Do you think, what are your thoughts on Kiffin going in that direction, going with an awesome recruiter potentially over a really strong X's and O's guy that uh, would you know already be familiar with all the players there? That's a good one, man. I, I thought about this because I think right now, you know, Kiffin's got a pass. He's got a hall pass. He's got a, he's got a couple years, and if they struggle, that's okay. So let's build this thing up. You know, if we lose a couple of these games that we shouldn't have X and O's, yeah, that's that's fine. But if we're getting the talent in, by the time that talent's hitting, then I can get my defensive coach. You know, so I, I um, I'm not saying that that's what's going to happen, but I don't know. I think when you're rebuilding a program, yeah, give me recruiting all day long because if you get the talent on campus that can be converted into wins. Mm -hmm. Yeah, now I, like I said, I'm not really knocking this because I truthfully don't know a ton about this Partridge and his, what kind of defense he'd be bringing in, so it's hard for me to judge. But I, you know, initially I'm not really a fan of this move, but then again, maybe he's looking at it like, remember their big defensive lineman there from Mississippi who actually signed with Kentucky, Josiah Hayes. Mm -hmm. It was kind of a surprise. Maybe something like that. Maybe that pissed old Kiffin off and said, hell, if we cannot get these players to stay home, I'm not going to be here that long anyway. Ole Miss clearly needs to upgrade their talent because, you know, like we said when Kiffin got hired, they're not trying to just win the Egg Bowl. They're trying to win the SEC West, and that's Mm -hmm. they're not even in contention until they up the talent level there. So uh, hopefully this works out for Ole Miss. And I just thought it was interesting that he's going with a recruiter guy, key recruiter. This guy's known as Michigan's best recruiter. And, uh, you know, got to hope that helps Ole Miss on the recruiting front. All right. All right, Shane. So this next thing, last thing I got here before we get to Tennessee, uh, we got some news outside of the SEC, but could affect the league in the coming year. And that's because Wake Forest starting quarterback, a guy by the name of Jamie Newman, made a very surprising decision to enter the NCAA transfer portal. And he's a graduate transfer, so eligible immediately. This is a guy that completed uh, over 60% of his passes, 2,868 yards, 26 touchdowns. Then he added another 574 on the ground and another six touchdowns. And I know we don't, Break down much Wake Forest, but from what I understand, this is a team that is led by this offense. It's kind of a spread option, you know, throw, run, a little dual threat action here. And I think all of a sudden this Jamie Newman comes right to the top of the list of the entire NCAA transfer portal. I don't really know where he's leaning, but... You know, I could see many schools in the SEC searching for a starting quarterback like a Georgia. I could, I certainly expect them to give this kid a call if they have a, you know, if, if Jake Fromm goes pro, for example. Newman. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so you think Georgia, like, let's just say. Or in Arkansas. You, you could, or, you know, I, I, yeah. I think all these schools will be calling him. I'm still waiting for that uh, that Arkansas. I'm waiting for this whole Baylor thing to play out. I'm sure all so is Arkansas. They want to see where this crew runs. Plus, KJ. I mean, you got Jefferson, man. A lot of people forget. I mean, mm-hmm. he's he can be something special down there. So, uh, no, I'm I'm interested. And I, I hell, I'd like for him to come to Tennessee, even though we got ten quarterbacks. You know. <laughs> 
<laughs> Maybe he's better. I don't know. You never know. That's just one to keep in mind because uh, he's, like I said, he's going to be at the top of that list of that transfer market. All right, Shane. So last bowl game here. Well, until, of course, the next college football playoff game. And remember, we're recording this during the Georgia game, so that's kind of why we haven't talked about it on this episode. We'll break that game down on the next one. But we got us a really nice one here on Thursday, Shane. Because mm-hmm. them Vols are playing in the Tax Slayer Gator Bowl against Indiana. Tennessee's a two-and-a-half-point mm-hmm. favorite going into this matchup. And it... You know, make no mistake, these bowl games, it's kind of like a lot of weird stuff can happen. You just never know if, hell, we just saw it with Auburn, you know, like a muffed pump, a fake punt. You know, those weird plays kind of can really turn the momentum of a bowl game. But I got to think, outside of some unpredicted wonkiness that we could that we couldn't predict if we tried, I got to think Tennessee's got all the momentum going into this matchup and um, you know, with all these seniors and everything they got leading the way, I mean, this is a great opportunity for Jeremy Pruitt and his Tennessee program to kind of put an exclamation point on uh, one of the better seasons here in recent Tennessee history. Mm. <laughs> these bowl games, man, you know, I I love them. I love them because they're, they remind me a lot of week one. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just like, you kind of thought you knew what you you had, you know. You thought you knew one team. You thought you understood what team they were playing, and then they get out there and they're, and it's not it's not going exactly as planned. So um, I got to be careful with the predictions on this game, but I think that this, I think there's two types of teams playing in these bowl games, Mike. I think there's teams that are upset that they didn't excel that they didn't do better Mm -hmm. you know that um maybe a little sluggish like a georgia or alabama you know because they thought they should be at it at the next level maybe you know what i'm saying maybe florida even Mm -hmm. but then i think there's there's some teams like a a kentucky that really go all in because they made a bowl game it was a huge accomplishment them to get in this bowl uh there's no talk of people sitting out this is a team effort and i think tennessee's one of those teams man i mean when they started out one and four everybody had them marked off and myself included you know well i mean i'm an optimist of course i thought we were going to win out but <laughs> i thought we had a chance at alabama there for a minute you know what i'm saying but i i, I think that that's what type of team Tennessee is. This is, you know, kind of like the Phoenix, if you will, coming from the ashes. And and now they've made it to this bowl game and they're galvanized and they've had 30 days to prepare, prepare for this thing. So I think that's the type of team. But again, these guys haven't played contact football in 30 days. So I think whoever's most prepared going in this game is going to win, of course. And um, obviously they're going to be wearing orange. <laughs> Yeah, Tennessee, I like the line that it's, you know, pretty close, two and a half. Like I said, Tennessee favored. I believe Indiana was actually favored when it opened, so, you know, swung yeah. swung to Tennessee there. But, you know, this Tennessee program, I had a lot of faith in them uh, winning games down the stretch here. They're, they've learned how to find ways to win games. It seems like, you know, luck has finally turned their way, but at the same time, you know, you can look down their schedule. They're, you know, winning so many. Only LSU's got a longer winning streak than Tennessee in the SEC right now. But at the same time, a lot of these games are very, very close. It doesn't seem like they have the talent or the depth 
to blow a team out by any means. Mm-hmm. So I think it's going to be another close one, Shane. It may come down to a final kick or something here. But uh, before we make our prediction, Shane, let's kick it over to Jeremy Pruitt talking about this senior class and how how they had to go with five senior captains because uh, four just wasn't going to cut it. Jeremy, a year ago you, you spoke highly of guys uh, like Kyle Phillips and, and Shy Tuttle, the kind of seniors that you inherited for your first season. You know what, What's going to be your, your overarching takeaway from these five guys with the way this season both started and, and kind of has culminated to where you guys are today? Well, I think it's obvious on Saturdays you see the talent that they have as football players. Um, the one thing that I've been uh, I'm thankful to be a part of is uh, the character that these guys have, um, the toughness that they have, uh, the maturity that they have, um, the leadership, all the intangibles that it takes to, to have success on the football field, away from the football field. These guys are going to be successful in life. So, um, you know, I, I couldn't ask if you notice these, these captains were voted on by, our, by our, um, their teammates. And normally you have four. Uh, well, the voting was so high. These are the five guys that got all the votes, you know. So it's a very unusual circumstance. Um, I think these guys are phenomenal leaders. Um, they're great men. Uh, and they've really um, kind of laid the foundation for years to come here. Uh, and I'm, I'm just excited to have a chance to be a part of it, help them develop as players, and I look forward to sending them off. And um, the relationships that we've built over the last two years – uh, will last a lifetime. All right, Shane, so you heard it from the man himself there. This is a team of led by elite senior leaders. Any chance these leaders do not exit their career with a win? <laughs> There's no chance, man. <laughs> you can. Of course I'm going to be pulling for the big orange. I, I, of course, I've pulled for every SEC team, and some teams have let us down, Mike. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Some teams didn't show up. Um, I, I don't think that this is going to be one of those teams. I think uh, they're enjoying the moment, but they're down there for one one mission, one mission alone, and that is to continue that win streak and to go out on top. Um, and plus, Jawan's going to be extremely fresh for the second half of this ball game. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> <laughs> so I've got a couple of in my score. Is that what we're doing? Yes, sir. All right, because I've got Tennessee – uh, winning this game, uh, 35, and I've got – what's her name? Hoosiers? Mm-hmm. Is that what they are? Hoosier Little dad. baby owls. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I got the Hoosiers, 17. Ooh. And I should have mentioned it. It sounds like – now, this is not official, but it sounds like Brandon Kennedy, the starting center, may actually play in this game, Shane. They've been kind of prepping him, getting ready to go. Uh, so that's something to watch in this one. I think that could be huge for Tennessee if he's in there because he's been playing the best football of his career here lately. And one guy I got my eye on on this one, I think uh, he's going to be a big-time breakout candidate all off season. We started to see it kind of come along late in the year. But freshman running back Eric Gray, I think if he has another big game, and I expect him to do that, uh, I think there's going to be a ton of hype around this kid all off season. So I think he's going to lead the way on offense. I know Tennessee's got some outstanding senior receivers, and I think those guys are going to get, you know, they're going to get their touches. They're going to have their production. Tennessee's going to have a good day on that side of the ball. Uh, I'm going Tennessee 30, 
Indiana 27. So I like Tennessee mm. to cover, but not my, not by much. I think it may even come down to a final kick to get the win there. You're probably right, man. I pretty I think I've I predicted blowouts in just about every game, but <laughs> you know, that's what should happen. That's not what necessarily happened. I'm just hoping that Tennessee's prepared and uh does their job because I don't know. This this team started out rough, man. It just it's kind of a it's kind of a Cinderella story for me, Mike. Like we've turned a page and, and Tennessee's just gonna put it all out there on the field. And uh man, it's just them. I ain't gotta flip it back from Auburn, Alabama. You know, it's just you got one game to watch, and that's the Tennessee Volunteers. <laughs> all right, Shane. So we went a little bit long on this one, had a lot to cover there. You got anything before we hop off here? Uh, no, we're going to be on here tomorrow, so we'll do the reviews tomorrow. So if you've got any of those, we really do appreciate it. Uh, sorry for rambling so much uh, this evening. Um, you know, hair of the dog, man. I was a little, we got a little wild last night, New Year's Eve, and uh, <laughs> so I thought I'd celebrate again, and uh, I rambled a little bit this evening. So I apologize for that, but if you do got an iPhone, iPad, anything iphone related uh ratings review help us out tremendously if you did give us a five-star rating uh we will be sending out uh, some koozies to you they're one and all at the bowl game so uh i hope some volunteer fans got theirs down there and uh uh or wherever we're at somewhere in florida <laughs> joe john you got yours <laughs> well it sounds like uh the- Shane's playing the old strategy. You can't get hung over if you keep drinking. I hope you don't go out driving tonight. Stay at home. Watch this bowl game. Get ready for this Tennessee game. Uh, But that's going to do it for this one, Shane. Thanks, as always, for joining me. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in. We'll catch you on the next one. All right. See you guys. Go Vols. Golly, Mike. Sorry about that. I hope you got your your edit stuff ready. (laughs) 